You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to Episode 70, A Servant to All. Our guest today is Corey Nathan. Corey is the host of the podcast called Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Corey and I talk about creative ways to engage the culture for healthy dialogue. We talk about his backstory and things that he is up to and how he arrived where he is at in engaging the culture and talking with people who have different opinions and perspectives than him. So let's go ahead and hop into that conversation with Corey. Corey, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast, man. It's glad, uh, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, if you could uh, give our listeners and viewers a little introduction to who you are and what you do. Sure, sure. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I am the executive producer and host of Talk of Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Uh, in a lot of folks know me as the Jew from Jersey who became a Christian. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's a claim to fame, but uh, it's an easy way to remember uh, one unique thing about me, I guess. And, uh, you know, vocationally, I have always straddled kind of business and the arts, uh, have started a couple companies, started a nonprofit last year to help folks that got hit hard by the pandemic, uh, has, have been very involved in ministry. Currently, I'm helping out with our HR ministry, but for about 15 years, I was running a theater and film ministry uh, for a church here in Southern California. That was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I'm a husband to Miss Lisa for 20, over 24 years. I got three kids, Savannah Rose, who's 20, Jackie Boy, Jackson James, who's 18, and Emerson Riley, who is 16. So that's that's about the sum of it. Yeah. Awesome, man. Love that. Love that. Um, yeah. Theater ministry. I bet several viewers and watch, uh, and listeners would be interested to hear more about that. So uh, at the end of the episode, of course, we'll give your contact info. And uh, that's awesome, man. I love that. I think the church, rightly so, uh, needs to kind of re-engage its historical past and really embracing and celebrating the arts. So I'm glad that you've had to had um, time to be in that space. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. We've had some, our whole deal was just engaging in culture in, in meaningful ways, uh, doing good work, doing great literature uh, in, in the theater. You know, we did the works of, of Wilde and Ibsen, not Ibsen, uh, Moliere, Shakespeare, Chekhov. And it was just great ways to, within the church, to have conversations on the themes of the play or outside of the church, like we'd go down to Hollywood and do these plays and engage with folks that weren't in, uh, aren't Christians and just, hey, why are a bunch of Bible thumpers coming down and doing Shakespeare yeah. plays? Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. But That's we can awesome. talk more about that some other time. Yeah. So for today's episode, uh, we're talking about a creative way to engage the culture for our practical, personal, and spiritual benefit. Uh, the title of today's episode is really a reference to what Paul tells the Corinthian church uh, toward the end of 1 Corinthians 9, when he uh, gives various examples of how we should conduct ourselves with others for the sake of the gospel. He says, to the Jews, I become a Jew. To the weak, I become weak. He gives other examples. uh, I have become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And, uh, and that's how I see your platform and what it's able to be. Uh, being relational in our world is vital. And just like I have on my own podcast, I know you've really enjoyed all the conversations and guests that you've had uh, on your podcast. Um, so Corey, let's start with your story because that will give us the best insight into where you are now and what you're doing. So can you give us an overview of your childhood being the Jew from Jersey uh, and, and how God has brought you to who and where you are now. Sure. I, yeah. So I, I grew up in an observant Jewish family. So we weren't just nominal Jews, you know, who, you know, I had a grandfather who might've been Jew- like, no, we were Jewish. We kept kosher, you know, we, 
observed Shabbos. We observed all the holidays, you know, not just the once a year type deal. Um, so we were observing. It was a very central part of who we are as a family. And in fact, it was formative uh, in that, you know, my grandmother, who had a very close relationship, came from Russia and they had to flee Russia where they were very prosperous, actually. Uh, but they had to flee because of, <laughs> as as my uh, my father and grandparents would say, the only thing everybody could agree on in Eastern Europe and Russia was everybody hated the Jews. So <laughs> whether it was it was uh, the Cossacks who came and, and burned down houses and you know, just did awful things, raped and murdered, uh, or it was the Bolsheviks or the Tsarists, whoever it was, everybody, the, the one thing they could agree on is they hated the Jews. And eventually my family had to leave Russia. And uh, actually March 3rd of this year was the hundred year anniversary of when our boat landed on Ellis Island. Which is oh, cool. wow. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a very, very, where Judaism was very important to us. It was something that we literally died for. Uh, other parts of my family were from Eastern Europe and stayed there through World War II. Many, many of my family members oh, died. Wow. Um, so this, this is something that's that's central to to who I am. Uh, but when I was in my late twenties, I, I was always a seeker. Um, I always had certain questions. Yeah, uh, I always had certain questions, and you know, as you get older, you start to formulate maybe more mature versions of those questions, mm -hmm. you know? So by my late twenties, I was still, you know, to be fair throughout my twenties, I, I had gotten less observant as a Jew. I was probably more agnostic, uh, definitely, you know, not keeping kosher, uh, but I still had these basic existential questions. Like how did all this stuff begin? What's going on in the universe? What's wrong with it? Is there some sort of thing that, you know, am I part in Judaism? Am I, am I, am I participating in tikkun olam healing whatever's wrong with it? You know, or is there some other grand plan that, you know, so I just started seeking. And uh, also at the same time, Lisa and I were thinking about starting a family. Um, I was starting my first company. Um, and uh, because of a lot of those things, I was seeking out mentorship. So one fellow in particular who I just thought he was a great guy, great dad, great husband, you know, really successful in business, really solid in the community. He I sought him out for advice and wisdom and mentorship. And he would always give me these, um, these books. Hey, that's a great question. Here's a book, you know, whether it was about marriage or whatever, whatever it was business. And it always happened to be what I thought of as a Jesus book because <laughs> so, it always had like new Testament scripture refer to Jesus. But the thing is, this guy was, uh, he grew up Jewish, but he came, he became a Christian at a certain point. So one day I decided to take him to task over it. I had a good enough relationship with him where I was going to call him out. And uh, true to form, he goes, I hear you. Here's a book. <laughs> <laughs> and the book was more than a carpenter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, the yeah. McDowell book, the shorter mm -hmm. one. Um, and uh, honestly, I read it pretty quick. I read it maybe in a three or four hours and it just pissed me off. It didn't like I didn't like, oh, I read the book and oh, wow, I became. No, it just opened up a whole new world, even though it ticked me off. It. It was the first time I heard anybody make an empirical case for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm. I didn't know anything about it. And that's where my friend was coming from. He said, listen, I know what it is to be Jewish. So do you. I know what it is to be Christian. You don't have the first clue. So at least read something so we can have an intelligent conversation about it. And really what that did was it prompted a, a quest. Uh, I, I was just, everything that I had read opened up. 10 more questions, a hundred, a thousand more questions. So from that time, I think it was the spring of 2000 through the fall of that year, I had an obsessive reading habit. I was reading easily 10 hours a day. I mean, wow. I, I wasn't sleeping much. I was still working and starting a business and stuff. And, you know, we didn't have kids, so I didn't have diapers to change. So I did have some time, but I was not sleeping a ton. I was reading. I was reading a lot. So I read um, McDowell's other book, the, the bigger one, Evidence Demands a Verdict. I came across some Strobel. Uh, I was also starting to dig into some theology. I don't know if I had come across G.K. Chesterton yet, but I definitely started reading, reading some of Lewis's stuff. Um, and then uh, someone introduced me to a fellow who became a mentor, frankly, uh, Ravi Zacharias, hmm. which I know this is kind of problematic now, uh, but you know, uh, it doesn't take away what 
Ravi introduced me to uh, some of the concepts that that were opened up. Uh, my passion for apologetics, which served me really, really well later when I told my family that I'd become Christian. But that was just one one pillar in what I had been studying. I was also studying at the same time. Once I started thinking, this stuff is making sense to a scary degree. You know, I started reading some theology and thinking that the the answers to some of those basic questions were making way too much sense for comfort. So I started reading other world religions and philosophies and seeing if there were answers there. And um, yeah, I mean, long story short, after all of that, I still hadn't read the New Testament. And it was in October. I, I don't know what date it was, but uh, sometime in October of 2000, I had finally gotten to the point where I said, I got to read this New Testament. And my buddy told me, start with James, <laughs> which is great because as a Jew, it's like, it starts with the 12, 12 tribes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, Hey, how you doing? They're talking to me. Uh, but it also, it, James also deals with some of the things theologically that I was starting to grapple with the faith versus works thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but it was good. It, it was a good introduction that got me to start at the beginning and just start reading straight through. And literally five chapters into Matthew, I had read Jesus giving what I had recognized as a Jew. I had recognized what's called a Devar Torah. So in Judaism, you read from the Torah, the, you know, the first five books of, of Hebrew Bible is the Torah, and you read a portion of it three times a week. And typically the rabbi uh, will give what's called a Devar Torah, a, uh, like an explanation of the Torah of what the portion you had just read and reading Jesus's uh, the talk he was giving starting in chapter five of Matthew. I was like, man, this is the most brilliant of our Torah I'd ever heard, you know? And, and um, I, <laughs> I didn't put two and two together. Cause obviously I didn't go to seminary. I didn't know these things. It was the sermon on the Mount, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it, it, it just really pulled me in. And I, I just didn't, frankly, I just didn't stop reading. Um, and I got to revelation 22 and, uh, I just thought, man, this thing makes sense. You know, it hit me. God works the way he works. Like, you know, the great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength on an emotional level, on a, on an intellectual level, on a spiritual level, even, even palpably, I could feel it. It just more coherent and cohesive than any other set of answers that I was seeking and not that I had all the answers, because like I said before, every answer you arrive at just opens up a thousand new questions. Sure. But I had arrived at a point where I said, this thing, yeah, so I'm going to follow this Jesus. I think this Jesus is Mashiach. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did it. Um, and I didn't know how to do it. I thought there was like a Jewish, like in Judaism, you have a prayer for everything. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the whole concept of like, no, man, you just talk to God, you know, like, what do you mean? You just talk to God. So I stumbled through a prayer, talked to God. And honestly, like I, I, I had like one eye open because I, I thought, what if I'm wrong? Am I going to get struck down by lightning? You know, like, the, but uh, he, I didn't get struck down by lightning. I guess that's when I became a Christian because I prayed to God and said, I believe this thing. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that, you know, sin entered the world and I'm a part of that problem. And, but I'm glad that it seems like I can be a part of the whole plan to fix it. You know, yeah. the redemption yeah. plan, as I understood mm-hmm. later. So that's, uh, that's how I came. And then the next chapter of the story, which in some ways is still being told is, um, you know, about a month later, I went home, I went back to Jersey for Thanksgiving and told my dad and my mom. And I, that was a whole different deal. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I, I love hearing people's stories because, you know, you have the powerful truths of the gospel and you see where God works. And yet when you hear the specific context and desires um, that someone has, but yet it also centers around, as you mentioned, those existential questions. Um, it's so cool to have people in your life who, I hear you, here's a book, or, you know, to have people like, Lee Strobel or C.S. Lewis, you know, who've kind of been in your shoes and really are asking hard questions like, okay, let's see what this says. And like, oh, here's the actual answer. Here it is. Yeah. And, um, yeah I love that, man. I love that. Uh, can you, uh, well, you know, at, you, you mentioned the story is still being told. And so I certainly want to give you um, discretion on how much to share or whatever else. But uh, can you tell us how your family and friends have responded to your faith in Christ? And also, maybe how it's widened or heightened your perspective on Judaism being 
a Christian? Yeah. So most of my good friends were very, very supportive, uh, inquisitive. I think my close friends, the harshest, and it wasn't even harsh, was um, worry that some of our secular beliefs, uh, some of the things that we arrived at together as kids growing up and now young, at that point, young adults, they they were worried that things that are transcendently important and good and true, that I might lose some of that. Hmm. But I, I think, you know, they're, they're good guys. You know, my, the three of my best friends that I grew up with, they're really good people. And um, they had faith that these conclusions that I was arriving at would only deepen and, and enrich my belief in those, some of those transcendent things. Um, so my, my brother had a funny response. He just said, Hey man, I think you're nuts, but whatever makes you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my mother's response was probably the most comical. Uh, she at first didn't quite hear me, uh, when I told her and she literally like, it looked like she was floating into the other, she was like kind of lost and dazed and floated into the other room. I followed her into the other room. This was Thanksgiving morning. We took a red eye back, back to Jersey. And uh, I said, mom, did you, did you hear what I said? I became a Christian. And the first thing she says is, I'm sorry. I just never thought I'd have a son. And she didn't know quite what to say. Who was walking with Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And then the next thing she says, she calls into the other room. She still speaks a little Yiddish. She calls into the other room. She goes, Ronnie, do hast, which is, um, are, are you lit? Are, did you hear? Uh, do hast? Our son is a born again Republican. Oh, <laughs> How did you get that? Like, I just said, I believe, you know, I, I'm oh, a Christian. Wow. You know, like, yeah. So anyway, so that was that was funny. Wow. She, she makes for good comedy if, uh, you know, if you're watching from the outside, like sometimes when I'm taking it, it's it's hard. But like, yeah, if you're watching from the outside looking in, it's pretty funny. But my dad's reaction is in a way what led 20 years later to talk of politics and religion without killing each other. Mm. He at first took it in very clinically, coldly, didn't have much of a response. And then a month later. I get a 10 page single spaced letter in the mail laying out all of the reasons why I can't become a Christian. And it was just everything, every reason, every angle you could think of historical reasons, filial obligation, emotional and Jewish guilt laid on thick, you know, but what I did because I was already studying uh, Zacharias, I came across other apologists, Strobel and, and McDowell, um, you know, as well as others, I used it as an opportunity to engage with him. And, uh, you know, the, the hard thing to say is that he, and he would not admit this now, but, um, he seriously considered sitting Shiva for me, which is the ritual you go through when one of your immediate family members dies. You know, it's kind of like, if you've ever watched Fiddler on the Roof, you know, at that time, even if you married somebody outside of the faith, you were dead to the family. Mm-hmm. So obviously accepting Jesus as Messiah, you know, so, um, but that letter came and over the next three years, I just answered paragraph by, or in some cases, sentence by sentence. And then when I sent him a note about a certain point that he was making, he sent me back a note. And then I replied to that. So there were all these emails going back and forth. And it was just, you know, the beginning of a really long conversation about everything under the sun, really important issues, family theology, politics, beliefs, right and wrong, you know, just so my father's conclusion and why he sent me that letter, you could look at as contentious. And it was uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, (laughs) one of the first books he sent, because we started sharing books with each other, I wanted him to read like mere Christianity. And he sent me a book called you take Jesus, I'll take God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But to him, it, it wasn't so much contentiousness as his epiphany that his relationship with his son was more important than any conviction. Even these multi-generational, our father and father, grandfather before us were, were Jews. It was even more important than that. That's how important his, in his eyes, his relationship with his mm. son was. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting 
everybody had different reactions. My father's was probably the most fraught. Um, so yeah, but, but it's, it's to answer your question about perspective on Jews and Judaism, actually, I think because of all of that, I've learned more about my family. I've learned more about Tanakh. I've learned more about, cause I went to an Orthodox synagogue, dude. I, I, I like, you know, I, I knew myself, I led the whole, I didn't just like do one prayer for my bar mitzvah. I led the whole service. Like I went to Hebrew high school. I, you know, it was like a real deal. So I already knew a ton, but because of this, it prompted me wanting to learn what my grandmother and great-grandfather's experience was in Russia. Um, what, what, what was it that these, um, these Cossacks, who, by the way, wore crosses on their chests, um, what was it? Where, where, where did this schism happen? Because Jesus was Jewish. His, his, his disciples were Jewish. How did this all become two different things and not a continuation? Because for me, it was just a continuation. Yeah. So, and it is, in fact, a continuation. But people being people, we mess it up along the way. So, yeah, the perspective on Jews and Judaism is it just caused me to dig deeper and learn more and empathize more and be able to relate more, uh, you know. So I think that's good. It was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I, um, I, I love your mom's response. <laughs> that is that, that that that's a stand-up joke just waiting to happen. That, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and wow, to be able to have the opportunity to dialogue uh, with your father like that, and to really see drawn out the importance of his relationship with you, and um, and him actually responding to your letters instead of just saying "here it is, take or leave it, whatever." Like having that door open, and you can dialogue with him. That's such a gift to be able to have that, have that chance. Um, so, so yeah. one little addendum there uh, is forgive me for interrupting, but a lot of folks uh, do ask me about where my dad's at there. You know, a lot of my evangelical friends are just kind of rooting for the happy ending where Ronnie accepts the Lord, you know? Um, but he has a very nuanced and I hope, I hope, uh, I hope it's appreciated his, his, his nuanced view of who Jesus was. He believes that Jesus was the tzaddik, which is like the great rabbi of his generation, which is already saying a lot. He believes that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, he's even annoyed that we can't celebrate Jesus in the, in the same uh, vein as, as, as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Dan. Like he believes that Jesus was a legit prophet and he was sort of stolen because of, you know, maybe because of Constantine or something like that, wherever the schism started happening. He also believes, and this is a kicker. Well, actually, this isn't the kicker. The, 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 he, he believes that Jesus was a Messiah candidate. And initially, when he came to that conclusion, he said, but he's a failed Messiah candidate. But here's the kicker. The kicker is about a year later, we revisited the conversation. He said, if he's a failed Messiah candidate, the failure wasn't his. It was the failure of the people of Israel. Hmm. Isn't that wow. interesting? Yeah. So... He's right. <laughs> you know, it's like other, like we disagree on he's like, I believe he's Mashiach. I believe he's Messiah, you know, like, so obviously we disagree on that, but man, he's right on about everything else. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's really that, that insight is really o- opening up to him. Uh, that's really cool. I, yeah. I love, I love hearing that. That's great, man. Uh, so you, you mentioned, and that, that is a really cool setup, the ability to have that dialogue really led to, you said, having your podcast now. So talking politics and religion without killing each other. It's uh, something that really um, can't be done in a lot of circles. You know, uh, yeah. it's it's so hard. And I mean, that's something that, you know, people have made jokes about forever, not just in the uber polarized society that we're living in now. Um, but, uh, you know, along with that opportunity with your dad and then maybe other conversations you have with other friends or other people, you know, were there other s- specific elements that really sparked their creation of the podcast? And uh, what are things that you've been learning with all these conversations that you've been having? Great question. So there are conversations that I'm having with friends and family along the lines of what I just discussed. And then when I became a Christian and uh, became part of a church family, I found myself having other conversations around politics and social issues. And the reason 
<clears throat> is that I, I started reading my Bible right away. You know, I started in Genesis one, got to Revelation 22, I started all over again. I've been doing that now for over 20 years. Um, you know, usually it takes me about a year, sometimes a little bit longer, but I, I take it seriously, man. I read, I have a, I, you know, I have a good reading habit uh, with, with my Bible. And I was coming across these things in the church where number one, uh, some friends as well-meaning as they were, were putting their social and political preferences primary mm-hmm. before, and sometimes at odds with what we were reading in scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. So I found myself having these difficult conversations, sometimes frankly being alienated and, you know, meeting with uh, great hostility. Um, Cause you know, if I'm being fair, I, I didn't always go about it in the most winsome way, you know, that the whole gentle, gentleness and respect part of, of the apologists verse mm-hmm. didn't always come as easily to me as like, Hey, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, you know, the, right. the, the Jersey in me, as opposed to, you know, the Holy spirit in me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted, I've always sought out these conversations and the, the podcast is, a, a, is, is just that it's a manifestation of that desire. It's also, it's also my desire to learn from people who are smarter than me, more experienced than me, whether it's a certain vocation or certain specialty, you know, cause we have, we have elected officials on there. We have journalists on there. We have academics, theologians, you know, one time, one of my most, the most meaningful conversations we had on there, and it was hard to have and share with the public. I brought on two theologians that I respect so much, uh, Tommy Givens, who teaches at Fuller, and uh, Amy Laura Hall, who's been at Duke for a long time. And we talked about when our heroes fall. You know, mm-hmm. w- in my case, I mentioned Ravi uh, and Tommy, when he was getting, when his dissertation, w- one of his heroes, if you will, was John Howard Yoder, who, you know, really challenging theologian, but folks, you know, might know that there's, kind of a sordid history there um, that came out after his death. But uh, so we just kind of worked through that. Like, what do I do with that now? What do I do with all the ways that my mentor influenced me? What do I do with all the things that I learned from him? What do I do with all, I have a shelf full just of Ravi books, you know, what do I like? How do I process this? Let alone the fact that I didn't know until after he died, I was mourning the loss of my friend. How do I do that? So being able to have that conversation or being able to bring on a brilliant journalist who, who, who tells me, who, who shares the, the, the real craft of journalism and encourages us that good journalism is still happening. And, and by the way, here's a way to discern where good ju- journalism is. Uh, here's some good questions to ask and qualifications to, to filter through. Um, a, a candidate, you know, I had, we had a candidate on there, Republican candidate for Pennsylvania Senate race. And uh, just ask him some tough questions, starting with, is Biden the duly elected president of the United States? He said, number one, yes. But number two, what a tragedy that you have to ask me that, that none of my Republican colleagues can answer that straight on, Hmm. you know, some really interesting conversations. So, you know, but I I think my favorites, just because, you know, these questions, theological questions, uh, questions on scripture um, and, and, and what that looks like in our ministries are really closest, you know, t- to my heart and my spirit is just talking with people, you know, in the church body that are doing great work, that are dealing with difficult problems in the world head on. You know, my buddy Samir Yadav uh, teaches not too far from here, just just uh, in the Santa Barbara area. Um, you know, looking at looking at the origin of the Jewish Christian schism and seeing how race and racism th- that in a lot of ways, that's the origin of race and racism. Um, dealing with, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine who's pastor at, uh, at a church here in Pasadena, dealing with immigration, you know, starting with scripture and figuring out who we're supposed to be as part of God's redemption plan specific to the Im- to immigrants. Um, you know, having these really, really interesting conversation. Bringing somebody on, we, we brought on um, R.C. Sprawl Jr., uh, who, who also has had a series of his own um, personal uh, issues and, and problems. And just hearing him be super candid about, about those issues, how hard it's been to be the son 
of great apologist and 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 Christian leader like like uh, RC RC Senior. Um, those been talking to Dan Darling. Uh, I, I think you know Dan. You know these have been some of my favorite conversations. Or 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 Peter Engler, you know, running a smaller ministry, maybe not as well known, but that guy is after it, man. In the most winsome, like you 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 look up the fruit of the spirit. Peter's walking. He he is embodying that. Um, and his his ministry in Buffalo, New York, man, so encouraging. And what he's doing, he's got a podcast called Why God Why, so encouraging. So those are some of my favorite conversations. Encouraging, iron sharpening, iron learning, being inspired. Some people, frankly, are ticking me off. We had <laughs> we had Anthony Scaramucci on there. That guy's a fraud. He was fun <laughs> to talk to, but he's a freaking fraud, you know. So anyway, it's not all you know sunshine and rainbows and whatever. But uh, overall, it's been such a challenge, um, such a, so edifying, so enjoyable. And uh, I'm, the most important part is, you know, the, a lot of these conversations, we either can't have them because the screamers have taken up all the oxygen out of the room um, or, or we don't know, we, we forgot how to have them as, as, as a couple people, you and me or whoever we're talking to of goodwill, you know, let's just give each other the benefit of the doubt that we're both coming at it from goodwill. Mm -hmm. uh, we might disagree on stuff passionately, but it's okay. Let's figure it out. Let's go through it together. Let's find some common ground. You know, for Christians, we got a big book that should be common ground for us, you know? So yeah. Uh, yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been something that one of my favorite things I've done certainly over the last decade, if not my lifetime. So I, I, I really enjoy it and, and think we're doing some good work, being a part of the solution, a little bit of salt and light as a Christian. And, uh, you know, some of the biggest problems in our culture aren't necessarily a particular issue, but how we're talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how to talk to each other again. So hopefully we're part of that Tikkun Olam thing in some small way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, when when I was uh, when you graciously invited me to be a guest on your podcast recently. Uh, oh yeah, we, the most famous guest that we've ever had. This guy <laughs> oh, Jeff Harding. Man, that was a great conversation. Oh man, <laughs> your your uh, online clout went <laughs> as soon as my episode dropped. Uh, yes, but uh, we uh, brought up um, when we were engaging. You know, like how you say something is as important as, as what you say. We brought up Daryl Bach's book and that triphonic structure of, yeah. you know, having, being able to identify what your lens is and how, you know, as you brought up with some friends, some social and, and political issues are the lens that they're looking at with the gospel and like, okay, now let me justify it with this. And instead of starting with the main thing um, and yeah, having, having healthy dialogue, having dialogue in general that can last for more than a few minutes without arguing or without calling someone a socialist or a Marxist or whatever is enough in itself. Having an ongoing healthy dialogue is like an endangered species of social things. You know, like it's, it really is something that's hard to come by and that's sustainable. And, you know, from everything I listen to with you and how you engage with people, um, I think you're setting a really good example. Um, and it's not a nice, pretty, all tied up in a, in a, in a bow. You know, I think um, overall, when it comes to us being relational human beings, if you have a healthy relationship and it's authentic, then it's going to be messy at times. It's going to be involving conflict and everything in our online filtered world, you know, with teenagers, especially um, being able to, portray everything as perfect uh you know the selfie that they posted was the 73rd picture that, that they took of themselves in <laughs> five minutes you know um you know being able to control how people see you and being able to build a platform and stand for something or doing it anonymously so you can just troll people and shoot them down and do whatever uh yeah, I think you are um, a light in the darkness in that in that way, and I love that it's centered for you personally, really on um, whether it's using your actual platform in a direct way or just you personally. Kind of like I've also benefited. Like, how is this influencing my faith, God? How are you at work? What can I learn from other people who are made in your image and what they believe and why they believe it? And um, yeah, it helps us really. I think honor God with our mind even more because we're not letting it sit and atrophy. We're act actively engaging it 
And we're trying to make sure that it's actively a part of how we're engaging the world that God made, the world that Jesus was sent for, died for, and the world that God loves. And, um, you know, first, first Peter and Hebrews talks about, you know, his, his mercy and having patience of waiting for people to find him and come to him. And, um, yeah, I love that you're doing that. And, um, I think it passes on some valuable things for youth workers. And so, um, you know, how, how Corey, do you think youth workers can establish and champion the concept of this respectable dialogue on hard issues that, that you're having? Um, in, in other words, from your experience, and you've already listed some, but, uh, you know, from your own experience versus what we all see online or videos of public meltdowns or whatever else, is respectable dialogue possible in the public square? And how has it really been helpful for you, maybe with the few relationships you've had or other things? Yeah. For, first of all, thank you for saying that uh, about what we're doing on TPNR. That's really, really meaningful. So I, I yeah, appreciate man. that. Um, so the answer is yes. Uh, there is the possibility of not only having meaningful dialogue, but also making making positive, having an effect, a positive effect on people, and and in small ways, uh, a positive effect in our in our culture. You know, so <laughs> to use one of your structures, um, five ways. <laughs> there are five ways that I think that we can <laughs> enhance these conversations. Um, in, uh, if there are youth leaders that are listening, uh, there are five that occurred to me. One, keep more of a relational as opposed to a transactional mindset. Mm -hmm. Meaning a lot of times we think we're going to get into one of these conversations and we're going to cause some epiphany in somebody that they're going to have a 180 degree change, right? That just... I don't know. Sometimes that happens, but 99.999% of the time, you, you might get one degree of change, 1% of change, you know, but what's more important is, are you still in the game with that person? Are you still yes. in the, you know, are you still Absolutely. in the relationship more mm-hmm. relational than transactional? Because if you, if you emphasize that you, you, there's another conversation to be had. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then if they do come to an epiphany down the road and, and, and come to the Lord they're if you, they're coming into something, it's not just an idea. It's yes. not just this um, one, one dimensional thing of emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but they're coming into something. They're coming into a body. They have relationships and stickiness with other people. It's important. Uh, yeah. Number, number two. And and it's I'm stealing directly from you, but it's your, your you were right on the money a few weeks ago or a few months ago on one of your podcasts. More questions than answers. Jesus, how often did Jesus answer a question with a question? Why do you call me good? Who do you say that I am? Like central questions, right? Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, he rolled out with you know Matthew twenty three kind of you know cursing at the. His 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 Pharisee buddies, you know, like mm-hmm. or or turning over some tables. So every once in a while we got that, or every once in a while, rare while he came out with an imperative that you love one another, right? But most often, you know, our God, our Jesus, the Word, you know, the, the way and the truth and life. His word was a question. It's pretty cool. So I think we can follow suit and open. Somebody comes with something to you, and. uh if you ask them a question about that, it opens up the assumptions that led to whatever point they were trying to make with you or whatever question they were trying to ask of you, mm-hmm. you know, is Gandhi in hell? You know, like, I don't know. The, okay. That's a question, you know, but like, w- w- what do you think? What troubles you about that possibility if he's in hell or, or, you know, what troubles you if the possibility of him being in heaven? Like just, I don't know. A question with a question is because it allows you to start a conversation and not just is Gandhi in hell? No. End of conversation, right? So, yeah. um, or or yes, end of conversation. You know, like, again, it ties into relational versus transactional. Another thing I would say is the willingness to be real. You know, if if I go in and I hear an introduction or, or uh, a pastor preaching on sin, for example, and his greatest struggle is, man, those double fudge Oreos. Oh, that's my, t-. I'm like, dude, 
I, I don't need to listen to anything else because you're not being real with me, you know? Yeah. Um, so the willingness to be real, you know, the willingness to be transparent and candid. Um, that's, and, and I know my kids, cause you know, they're close to the age that y'all are leading and mentoring. They, they sniff through that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? But, yep. but my, like, listen, if, if I'm willing to risk the possibility that they're going to think I'm imperfect, which they already know, right. They, they believe me. It's, it's, it's more, there's, there's more nuance. There's more depth. There's more to explore. They can relate to it. Right. Because they're struggling. They're struggling with, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, like every other teenager since the history of mankind. Right. So our ability to relate to them depends on our willingness to be real with them. Mm -hmm. Another one is um, (laughs) that's been helpful for me is more often than not, no matter how much reading I do, I got all these books on the shelf and no matter how much reading I do more often than not, I don't have the answer, but I found this great little tool. It's called great question. I have no idea, (laughs) but can I get back to you on that? Exactly. Can I get back to you on that? Exactly. Because because again, it's about the relationship. So I'm guaranteeing we're having one more conversation. Plus I'm going to learn something, you know, Mm -hmm. great question. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Can I get back to you on that? And then um, the last thing, which is about as close to confrontational as I come, uh, I found one other little uh, anchor, which is, oh, that's interesting. I didn't see it that way. Why don't we keep reading? (laughs) You know, like I was having a conversation with a dude and we read like a couple of verses at the top of, I think it was Leviticus 19. And uh, it was about immigration. And he was coming to a very different conclusion than I had thought based on a lot of other reading I did. I said, oh, that's interesting. Let's keep reading. And then a lot of folks who are familiar with the chapter know about that by the end of the chapter, it's pretty explicitly like treat your, you know, the, 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 uh, the strangers among you exactly. as right. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was exactly the opposite of the conclusion that this fellow was coming to. So, but it also gets us in the word because I'm not the authority scripture, you know, God is the authority, right? Scripture is the authority. So it gets us in the word. I, and it worked. It, I've had some of the best conversations with um, uh, friends that aren't Christians. Uh, there was one, this is a long time ago now, I think it was 2004. There was uh, this thing called prop eight on the ballot in California about Mm -hmm. gay marriage. Yeah. And, um, I have friends who are, are gay and one friend, I had the greatest set of conversations with him. He, he, cause he knew, he knew at that point I was a Christian, I was a young Christian, but it was one of the first times I I started, I, I, you know, just kind of whipped out my Bible with him. Uh, he said, well, where does it say in the Bible? about, about homosexuality. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? And, uh, we opened it up. I think it was first Timothy or, um, gosh, there, 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 uh, first Timothy, or, um, there's another uh, list close to it. Uh, it mostly deals, uh, it, it mostly deals with leaders, but, um, Oh, yeah. Am I thinking of the right? Uh, I think it's the first chapter of First Timothy. There maybe is it second? First Timothy I, two. Uh, two is a yeah, yeah. That, that's a lot for for leadership. So in and around that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's just it wasn't directly appropriate because he wasn't a Christian. Um, but but it was interesting because I read off these list of of um, non ideal behavior. Yeah, we think of it as sin as Christians, and uh, I go whoa. I think I'm guilty of a lot more of those than you are, (laughs) you know? So let's keep reading. Let's get into the word, you know, whether it's your Christian friends or non-Christian friends, I think the, the word is a pretty good place to start and Mm -hmm. a pretty good place to stay in. So those are the five things, relational versus transactional, more questions and answers, be real. Great question. I don't know, but can I get back to you on that? And let's keep reading, keeping in scripture. So dude, those are five fantastic ways Uh, that, that, um third thing that you said is uh exact you know exactly what I talked to my students about as far as uh being able to continue the dialogue and how I don't know shouldn't be an answer that incites shame and guilt and embarrassment and my my faith is shattered because I can't answer this one question you know uh our teenagers our students who grew up in church um they're always going to meet people who not only just are really good 
arguers, but people who just can talk and have read a lot and can understand and have a different perspective, not being raised in church and, you know, someone else's perspectives and beliefs. If, um, if that really is like, well, then everything I've ever believed is malarkey because these little, these two things don't line up with it, you know? And, um, if you make a big decision like that, you need to be able to have really healthy ongoing dialogue with someone who's willing to have it. And so being able to say, I need to read about that, or I'm not sure, or, you know, all those approaches that you listed is exactly what youth pastors and youth workers, what we hope and wish for our students and the attitude and the perspective that they have, because that is vital for them to be able to approach it that way. And if they do it, then I think the whole asking better questions instead of settling for easy answers perspective then also sets in because they're able to realize that, Hey, if my following Christ and everything that I read is first and foremost dependent on faith for me, but you know, uh, we're saved by God's grace first through our faith. Our faith is a response to God's grace. And so if it's faith and not my intellect and my ability to know that this is the right answer, because I'm, I'm, I have certainty that a B and C variables, whatever, like God made us to use our minds. Well, but faith has to be the first thing. And so often it's like, well, yeah, I have faith because look what I proved with this. And, um, I know logic is a is the foundational part of a lot of apologetics and everything else, and it is important. But and you know, at the end of the day, for us to have complete one hundred percent certainty in the same way that a scientist who's done a experiment hundred times and has worked every hundred time, you know, I think we need to ask people what they mean by certainty because I think in some ways certainty has become an idol. Yeah, um, and you know, you're right. God is the authority. Scripture, his word is the authority. Jesus, the living word is our authority. And, and I feel like, um, people who I know, especially those who are more and more formally educated, um, gratefully for the most part, a lot of them grow more and more humble and they realize how much they will never know and they're okay with it because now it gives them a chance to learn and to hear from people who are in those places to be able to add to their own experience, add their stories to their own story. And I think that's what's behind, you know, um, books like narrative apologetics from Alistair McGrath and yeah. this idea of your own experience and the story that God has put you in and where he's put you for his purpose um, to be able to engage with others because our God is a relational God. You know, the, the trying God is always in community with himself. And um, we, we were created pre-fall to be dependent. And that is against the independent American way and, um, you know, how we should be able to depend on others and how we're made to. And ultimately, of course, we're made to depend on our creator and be grateful for what he gives us. And he's given us this planet. He's given us a lot of resources to be good stewards of. And how well are we doing that? You know, that gets into other issues. But, you know, that relational element is so important. And as I mentioned, you know, in those five ways that that you brought up, um, that's a lot of what I consider to be important in youth ministry or ministry and the Christian witness in general. And that's the way that you're approaching and carving out things on your podcast. And I just think that is fantastic. And we need more of that, um, not just in youth ministry, with how we engage with people who are White House administrators or high-ranking military officials or ethics professors or journalists or whatever else. You know, it's it's so important to be able to keep talking to people, learning while the more growing in gratitude for what God has done for us and continues to do for us. So it's great, man. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Good. Thank you, Jeff. That's really kind of you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, well, Corey, this has been great. I wish we could just keep talking. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to have you back on. Maybe we'll do some joint episode uh, later with some other things. I, this, this dialogue model, I'd love to bring that more specifically to the youth ministry sphere. But in the meantime, tell us where people can connect with you and the podcast online. 
Thank you. Yeah. So with me, if you look up Corey, C-O-R-E-Y-S as in Scott, which is my middle name, Nathan, like the hot dogs, Corey S. Nathan, you can find me pretty much on all the, I'm not on TikTok, but maybe I should do a cha-cha on there or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but the the podcast is T-P-N-R. So T-P spelled out T-P-N-R pod, T-P-A-N-D-R pod on um, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram, T-P-A-N-D-R pod okay. for talking politics and religion Yeah, <laughs> podcast. So yeah. Awesome. And I will have all those links in the YouTube video description and in the show notes. Um, so if you're looking for that, uh, viewers and listeners, go ahead and head to the show notes or video description, click on those links and check out what Corey uh, and his team is doing on T-P-N-R. Well, Corey, I'll be praying for you, man, as you continue being used by God and the public space that you have, uh, and in the private relationships with you ha- that you have with your family, with friends, and just uh, being able to help people see how vital, healthy dialogue is for the kingdom. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Jeff. This is, it's just fun hanging out with you, man. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Corey for joining me. The links to contact him and to subscribe to his podcast are listed in the show notes and the YouTube video description. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, please go check that out and subscribe there as well. We have all of our episodes on YouTube starting this season. Also, every Friday, only on YouTube, we have a special five-minute segment called the Fantastic Friday Five. So go and check that out this Friday. On our website, youthministrymaverick.com, you can find all of our episodes, a complete list of our guests and their bios, a list of organizations to help you in your own ministry, some articles I've published, a store to support the podcast, and more. So go check that out. You can also find all of our social media handles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We appreciate ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts so we can be more seen. And if you leave us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me and I will send you a personal thank you card with some merchandise you can't buy on the website. That's all for now. Hope to see you on YouTube this Friday. But until next time, thanks for listening. Adios.